0: That'll never fail Can't help but tell What he's done for me I lift my soul Give the victory Set my footsteps to walk and ride right, Gave me eyes to see the light This is the day that the Lord has made This is the day This is the day That the Lord has made I will rejoice, I will rejoice, joy, I will in I. I will my from the Lord, oh, my the great God Almighty, that will never fail. <laughs> let the heavens yours, so let the earth be glad, let the hills be to let sea roll back. The earth, oh, yeah. I let the sea, oh, yeah. let the wind, oh, yeah. and let the rain, oh, yeah. let the sun, oh, yeah. I let the moon, oh, yeah. I let the young oh, yeah. and let the old, let oh, the church, yeah. let the church, let the church, let the church, rejoice, the church, rejoice. The church, rejoice to be exceedingly glad. This day, this is the day that the Lord has made.
1: Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. This is the, uh, the class you've been waiting for, which is the Gospel of John, in in-depth study, I would say, concerning the Messiah of God being the topic. And it's the 20th of June, 2021. It's been an extremely hot week in Arizona. I know a lot of folks have also had rather uh, inclement weather, whether it be heat or even too much wet, but it's, we're definitely into the summertime, and um, so we have something to look forward to, and that's fall, I guess, um, but we are been, we've been studying in John the 13th chapter. We did not get done with our lesson last week. We're going to pick up um, in our outline about uh, John 13, verse 18 through 30 again. Just a little bit of review, and then uh, move on. Uh, I've some, there's some things that I'm going to add today, uh, some other scriptures concerning Judas that are not in, our, in the original outline. And if you don't really know of these scriptures, I think you ought to jot them down. And it's very interesting the way that uh, the information we have of Judas, the references in the New Testament are are made and even said are as the scripture has has been written. So these things were prophesied, um, and I think that's interesting because most of them are within the Psalm of Psalms of David, um, having. I guess in a a double meaning, of course, David being a a type of the Christ, um, the idea of the king and and that sort. So I think this is going to make it uh, quite interesting, Uh, and we welcome everyone that is uh, tuned in today to the broadcast. We appreciate your listening and your comments, even your support. And these things are a blessing to us. And let's hope that our studies and all the things that we do are a real blessing to those that are uh, maybe hearing it for the first time. So uh, no matter how many times you study something, you're going to get something, something new. You're going to see it. And you're going to appreciate it. That's how the Scripture is. So... Let's look at um, 18 through 30 again, as we started uh, towards the end of the program last week. <clears throat> now, Jesus has, of course, washed their feet and told them the meaning of it. Uh, and um, it's a very, um, the atmosphere amongst the, the 12 and Jesus, is it's high tension in a lot of ways. So let's look at the text. Verse 18, Jesus says, um, Not concerning you all do I speak. Now that's important for us to know. I have known whom I chose for myself, but that the writings may be fulfilled... By the way, there's one of those key verses. He who is eating the bread with me did lift up against me his heel. That's almost a direct quote that we'll read here in just a moment. All right, verse 19. From this time I tell you, before it's coming to to pass, that when it may come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say to you, he who is receiving whomsoever I may send doth receive me. And he who is receiving me doth receive him who sent me. Now, I like this verse for another reason. This is the, as they say in the police work, the chain of custody. We can take the custody of the gospel message and the Messiah all the way back to his father in Genesis chapter 3. And I think that's incredible. And it continues to go through God's word. Verse 21, These things having said, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and did testify and said, Verily, verily, I say to you that one of you will deliver me up or betray me, as some of our versions say. The disciples were looking, therefore, one at another, doubting concerning whom he speaketh. Now, that verse is interesting in the way that if you've ever been in an atmosphere such as that, when something has been said on that where there's somebody within the group that seemingly no one except the speaker knows something and has revealed it without giving a name. It's a very uncomfortable position. It, it kind of refers me back to what, I, uh, what I've what i heard on some of the old uh, English um, time period uh, pieces, the way they used to speak in England. With the comment, I'm. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't know where to look uh, when something has been said. Well, that's how they were feeling. Verse 23. And there was one of his disciples reclining at meat, that at the meal, in the bosom of Jesus, whom Jesus was loving. Simon Peter then doth beckon this one to inquire whom, who he may be concerning whom he speaketh. So Peter's wanting this disciple to ask Jesus. You know, it may have been a lot of conversation in the room or a, a, a big, big table, a, a big area. He just didn't want to yell it out. Who is it? Alright. And that one, having leant uh, lent, lent back on the breast of Jesus, responded to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answereth, The one it is to whom I have, having dipped the morsel, shall give it. And having dipped the morsel, he giveth it to Judas of Simon, Iscariot. And after the morsel, then the adversary entered into that one. Now we remember from before, the adversary had been prompting, had been uh, uh, certainly testing Judas, But here at this moment, he entered into Judas Iscariot, the adversary, which is the correct English word for the the term. Mm -hmm. Um, Therefore saith to him, Jesus, what thou doest, do quickly. And none of those reclining at meat knew for what intent he said this to him. For certain were thinking, since Judas had the bag, that Jesus saith to him, Buy what we have need of for the feast, or that he may give something to the poor. Having received therefore the morsel, that one immediately went forth, and it was night. Now, that one, of course, is referring back to Judas. He went into the night, uh, as Jesus had uh, made reference. What you do, do quickly, and that was the last moment he was with Jesus in a in a proper uh, in a proper situation. So Jesus has confirmed. Judas as the betrayer, but it doesn't seem, of course, John heard this information. I'm not sure anyone else did about the dipping and who he gives it to. Um, So uh, John may have had a real insight, but I'm not sure anyone else did at that time. There's nothing in the scripture that would tell us that they had heard that or understood it. As a matter of fact, we hear just the opposite. They didn't understand. But for him to get up and leave the way he did, that was unusual. So that needed an explanation. That's not how it would have normally went. Uh, they weren't really really ready to go. Uh, this passage and the other ones concerning the, the Last Supper, as we call it, and all of that I've often wondered for a while while, I thought Judas wasn't even present when the communion issue took place but I'm not so sure of that to me I thought he shouldn't have partook of the communion uh, but that's just me judging Judas and I I don't really have a right to do that Uh, I can judge his actions but Uh, I looked at the other passages, and of course they're all listed in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it doesn't give an idea, to me at least, I cannot say for certain Judas was not there when the communion uh, was referenced and taught and established. I I just don't know that. Uh, Because, as I said, they weren't done there we're going to find in, as we study on from verse 30 on that there was a lot of conversation, a lot of things happening in that upper room before they did leave. So uh, I think that's an interesting thing. But let me share with you the other scriptures, as I call them, concerning Judas. Uh and you'll see what I mean. Um, there's there's a few of them here. But um, let's turn to the, uh, if you want to write these down, if you don't know them by heart, Psalm 41.9. And this is a Psalm of David. Psalm 41.9. All right. Now, here's the one that Jesus has uh, mentioned uh, as he was at the table. But this is David speaking of someone in his company. But it's, isn't it interesting Jesus uses the same verse over again because it's it's the same thing. And, and David says in the psalm, Even mine ally in whom I trusted... Now, wouldn't that be the twelve? Of course. One eating my bread made great the heel against me. Now, this is the reference. And we can read on and we can see other verses uh, before and after that that kind of show us the situation. Uh, But that's the one that Jesus was referencing. Uh, There's another one in uh, Psalm. Well, there's more, actually, more than that. But uh, fifty-five, Psalm fifty-five, verse twelve and thirteen. All right. And here we have another Psalm by David, concerning a situation he's in. Uh, but it's very, as we're going to see. Uh, in this psalm, we have this idea, this reference of the Redeemer also. But here, here in verse 12, For an enemy reproacheth me not, or I bear it. He who is hating me hath not magnified himself against me, or I hide from him. But thou, a man, as mine equal, my familiar friend, and mine acquaintance. Okay? And it goes on like that, showing that uh, his enemy is his his own acquaintance. His own equal, in this case. Familiar friend. Alright? Now, let, let's go to the New Testament for a, for a passage. This is in Acts chapter 1. This is the Apostle Peter standing up speaking uh, prophetically as to what must occur concerning the replacement of Judas. Acts 1, verse 16 through 20. We'll read that and then we'll go to the uh, some more verses, two more verses in Psalms. Now Peter stands up and says, Men, brethren, it behooveth, uh, behooveth this writing that it be fulfilled that beforehand the Holy Spirit spake through the mouth of David. Now you see why we can confirm these things through these psalms. Because here Peter is making it clear that through the mouth of David the writings are confirmed concerning the subject that's coming up here. Alright, now that's important. Concerning Judas who became guide Uh, who became guide to those who took Jesus. Because he was numbered among us, he did receive the share in this ministration. This, This one, indeed, then, purchased a field out of the reward of unrighteousness, and after that he burst asunder in the midst And all of his bowels gushed forth. Now, this is what happened to Judas after the crucifixion or during it. Uh, That's about all we know. Verse 19. And it became uh, known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem insomuch that the place is called, in the proper dialect, Akiladamah, that is, field of blood. For it hath been written in the book of Psalms, let his lodging place become desolate, and let no one be dwelling in it, and his oversight let another take. So his place has become desolate. But they were going to add another man into the, the apostolic roles, if you will because it's written in the book of Psalms, all right? Uh, And now Peter makes this reference prophetically back to the scripture we're going to read. Psalm 69, we're going to be looking in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Also Psalms of David. 69 verse 24 through 28. Now listen to these words carefully. Pour upon them thine indignation, and the fierceness of thine anger doth seize them. Their tower is desolate, in their tents there is no dweller, for they have pursued him thou hast smitten, and recount of the pain of thy pierced ones. Give punishment for their iniquity, and they enter not into thy righteousness. They are blotted out of the book of life and with the righteous are not written. Now one one thing I'd like to say about this, this idea of being blotted out of the book of life. You know, I think last week we spoke concerning the idea uh, that many teach that Judas actually uh, did go to heaven, actually was... Uh, Uh, forgiven for this. But I think it's clear the scriptures are referencing the book of life and that one being blotted out. But let's move on. Psalm 109, verse 5 through 8. Psalm 109, verse 5 through 8. And they said against me evil... For good, and hatred for my love. Appoint thou over him the wicked, and an adversary standeth at his right hand. In his being judged, he goeth forth wicked, and his prayer is for sin. His days are few, his oversight another taketh. Now, this is the reference, of course. Um, again, to not only uh, Judas, but the idea of the adversary and and how it standeth next at his right hand. You see, this was the idea. Um, Judas was being oppressed. He was being encouraged. He was being tested. But when the morsel was given to him by Jesus, And, you know, if Jesus handed him that morsel, do you suppose Judas heard what he said? You know, to me, this is, uh, it's not written in the text, but it certainly takes, uh, makes us think, doesn't it? Because when he took that morsel, Satan entered him at that time. Now we don't have a lot about Judas, but certainly uh, the references Jesus made to him, and of course the, uh, the Peter, in reference to the uh, Psalm of David, we have an idea that these things of course were prophesied. And even before all of this, Jesus had proclaimed that one of them was uh, a betrayer. Some versions use the word a devil, uh, but that, I'm not sure what the word is. I'd have to study that. Um, but certainly, uh, more to the point, he would, would have been evil in that way. In other words, his purpose, his true purpose as being there and the work he had, he had become completely the opposite of it, which is the word what the word evil means. Um Completely and totally counterfeit. So, um, we're going to read on uh, from verse 31 through 38 and see the final uh, these final comments and look at uh, some of the the verses um, uh, very closely as to what they may, may mean. So in verse 31, Jesus, as soon as Judas has left, he begins to speak to the rest, to the eleven, if you will. And they're referenced as the eleven um, uh, after this until uh, acts chapter the end of chapter one or chapter two so in verse 31 when therefore he went forth jesus saith now was the son of man glorified and god was glorified in Him, if God was glorified in Him, God also will glorify Him in Himself. Yea, immediately He will glorify Him. You'll notice that when this idea of glorification comes, it's always the idea of the Father and the Son, and and it's and it's always uh, turned to where one is glorifying the other. Uh, In, I guess, in the purpose. I remember Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Well, they're one in purpose. Well, this whole thing is the purpose of what is going on. Um, And that doesn't mean, like some have intended, that Judas had no recourse in his actions that he was basically forced into being the betrayer because they needed someone to do it to have Jesus arrested uh, I, we can't say that whatsoever Jesus would have could have easily been arrested uh, on his own he wouldn't needed a guide you don't suppose they actually knew you see what occurred was incredible really if you read the whole account of when they come into the garden and find Jesus in and the, and the 11, uh, read this, especially in John. John's got one of the most uh, profound uh, writings of it that we'll be studying. But these soldiers and the authorities were frightened. They were afraid of Jesus because What could somebody do to them that could raise the dead, that could calm the whole sea of Galilee with the word, could do the miracles that they knew that he had done, there was a chance that he would strike out at them in their thinking. So that's why I'm saying there's a lot of emotion going on in the in the whole city of Jerusalem because of the presence of Jesus. And I, I just think it's incredible. So this idea of being glorified, uh, we'll, I'm going to define that word again for you when we get done with our reading. Verse 33, Little children, yet a little I am with you. You will seek me, And accordingly, as I said to the Jews, whether I go away, you are not able to come. To you also do I say it now. So this was an action that was going to happen, and he's reminding them of it, so they're not taken by surprise, okay? This idea of him being gone. Verse 34. This is a verse that we all know well. And this was the appropriate time for Jesus to make this comment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another according as I did love you, that ye also love one another. Now, I don't know if you um, recognize this in the same way I do, but a new commandment you see, the Jews had the commandments in the law. Now, this is the new commandment. Uh, the implication of this will become obvious as, as time goes on. Uh, that the new, if you really think about what he says the new is, you'll realize that it completely covers all of the Old Testament commandments the ten uh, plus the regulations plus these things so um, but you know they needed the ten commandments a little more broken up to where they had a little more guideline. they weren't ready to live like this commandment uh, this commandment teaches not only does it teach it is a command. Okay, And what's the command? That you love one another as I did love you. That you also love one another. This is the tall order here. Alright. Let's read on. 35. In this shall all know that you are my disciples if you may have love one to another. This was important from that day and every day since within the body of Christ. Simon Peter saith to him, Lord, whither doth thou go away? You see, what Jesus just said, so profound, yes. and yet Peter's still thinking about this, this idea. He's worried about him going away. Jesus answered him, Whither I go away, thou art not able to follow me, but afterwards thou shalt follow me, now this was a comfort. Peter saith to him, Lord, wherefore I am not able to follow thee now My life for thee I will lay down. Jesus answered him Thy life for me uh, Thy life for me thou wilt lay down He's saying this in, a, in an elevated voice. Verily, verily I say to thee, a cock will not crow till thou mayest deny me thrice. Three times. Now what Peter said, I think was heartfelt. But what actually uh, uh, transpired was the weakness of the flesh that Jesus was talking about. You know, they couldn't stay awake in the garden. When Jesus was praying, Jesus came back, I think, three times and woke them up. And finally he said, the 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 heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, Jesus wanted him to remember what he had said, and, and he did. That's the end of chapter 13. Now let's talk about this word glorify. Because I think it's wonderful um, to know these, these words that are used so much in the Bible. Um, in, in the Greek, uh, it is, the idea is this, the main thrust, to recognize. In other words, it's a recognition of position, to recognize, to honor. And the position is giving honor because of the position, because, and, and that honor falls upon the one that is being recognized. And that's Jesus and his Father. His, that is Jesus in this case, his innate glory is made manifest, now that means clearly seen, of his identity as the Messiah of God. And there's lots of other terms for it, um, such as Emmanuel, God with us. But I, I like the one, the anointed one. The anointed one. You remember King David was anointed as king over Israel while Saul was the king. Jesus is the anointed one from heaven. Okay? Not from the earth, but from heaven. And that's how he was known so his identity because of what's happened because of the fact that he will be betrayed now and what transpires from that betrayal will will bring gl- uh, glory upon the name of Jesus you see the cross even though it's the cruel cross even though it's the shedding of blood it is it is uh, it brings glory to the one that was on the cross Now Jesus was innocent of any sin but he still went to the cross. He was punished like the the one on the right and the one on the left who they uh, under whatever law they were being uh, had been tried they were going to be crucified for what they had done. But they admitted they had done something. So uh, the idea of many people have died on, in, in the way of crucifixion. As a matter of fact, a year before Jesus' crucifixion, there were a thousand Jews crucified on the road and, and put on the road coming into Jerusalem. Um, I don't know if it was more than one road, but they were there for the people coming into the city during that time of year, to see what happens to rebellious rebellious people. And, of course, the Romans uh, did that. It was... uh, That was by their authority. So, uh, that's the idea of glorify. Now, this idea of the New Commandment, I think... uh, (coughs) if there's any confusion about anything that I find in the church, it's the idea of commandments. We just don't seem to be able to fully give up the Ten Commandments. But even in light of the New Commandment, we should be able to do that. Because if we really give uh, by the way, the word love here is the um, highest form of love, the new high form of love when it was spoken, agape, um, the love demonstrated and uh, by God and by His Son to mankind. Uh, God has always had agape love, but in the world of men, the highest form of love was the idea of philanthropy—you know, uh, giving something to someone that uh, you wouldn't have to—but there is the other one, the uh, brotherly love, and there's a, there's many different forms of love that are expressed all the way down. There's a, uh, there's a, a love of uh, spouses, and there's love of even. There's even a Greek word, a Hebrew word, for the love that David had for Jonathan as a friend. He was more than just a friend. He was a a real friend to Jesus. They were like brothers, really. Of course, they were brothers. They were both Jewish brothers. But they, Jonathan understood that David would be king and said so and was looking forward to the day. But it meant that Saul, his father, would be gone. But this was a a love that was unusual between people, uh, because Jonathan should have been insulted by the fact that he was being passed over. Yet, uh, that that wasn't truly the case. God knew uh, the end of uh, Jonathan. Jonathan uh, was obedient to his father, obedient to what needed to be done, and he died in battle. But this idea of love here, we're talking about agape love in this, that you love one another as I have loved you, that also ye love one another. So, and then the next verse puts the cap on it. I, I, think, a, I think a very powerful point of this, this verse is, is who's doing the loving and who and what example you should follow. That, that's where I think yeah. the, the true newness comes from. Yeah. From the Messiah and his personal relationship with everybody he came into context yeah that's that's a good thought and uh, one item' considered it also fits with the idea of of the new word for love being a new commandment from the Son of God using a, uh, a, a a word love in a form that is higher than all the love that they had known before and now they were to express that same action Okay, And this was in the form of a new commandment. In other words, it was not just a a good counseling. It wasn't a suggestion. It was expected and demanded by heaven that they would do just that. And how do we know that? In verse 35, In this, in other words, if you are and do these things, in this shall all know, that you are my disciples, if you may have love one to another. So, how many times has this verse been used within the various assemblies as uh, it's been used as a wonderful teaching and it's also been used as a sledgehammer Uh, Because many times within certain assemblies when there is an issue that needs to be resolved, someone will always come up with this verse. Um, But they forget. The word for love here (laughs) is the love that not only will die for one another, but they will also correct one another. So it's a violation to say that we can't correct, seek to correct, or even admonish someone who has done something that it would violate this command. Although, I will say, there's been people that came into congregations that there's a little feud going on, and that's the only thing they remember about being there is the fact that the people were fighting each other and some people didn't like other people and they don't understand why. If that's if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. I've, I've heard just about every comment there is because I've actually seen it. I even... Uh, one time I saw this and someone who was a visitor stayed... And, and where the the men had a quick meeting after church, and one of the visitors came up and stood with the other men <laughs> and was and heard some very uh rather unloving comments and I don't think anybody realized it until it was too late. That's a terrible thing to have happen because what Jesus said here is very true um they're going to know that you are my disciples if you may have love one to another. So that needs to be resolved. It needs to be practiced, and it's not a suggestion for the apostles, nor was it passed on to the church as a suggestion. It is the new commandment. And if you follow this commandment, you'll never fear of violating any of the law of the Jews, okay, because it's all within this idea, this concept. Um, so I, I think we're we're safe there. It's the um, what what it is. What I wrote here is this action, th- this new way, this new commandment is the Christian nature. The nature of Christians should be this. Rather than um, the uh, elevated voices and um, you know the arguments of the learned against the unlearned, or the other way around, you know all of the different scenarios that we know can happen. Um, if we let it go, if we don't correct it and, and nip it in the bud, as they say, we will violate this. And we will show forth to those outside. And it seems like, from my experience, when these things happen, somebody, the, the parties arguing, well, you'll probably get over it and it'll be resolved. But there's always some damage to somebody else. Now, how do we answer for that? And I think Jesus is giving a, quite a warning here. He's making it clear that this sort of thing, the lack of love one to the other will, will drive away people. They will not think that, that this is what God wants. And they'd be right in, in a sense, wouldn't they? So, as, you know, as this rolls out and comes to an end, uh, we notice that Peter, because Peter always speaks in an emotional outburst, Because this is how he's feeling. And I know he was feeling this way. Um, Look what had happened during that meal. Jesus, someone had betrayed Jesus. Jesus said so. He instituted the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. And then he said he was going away and they couldn't follow. You think that's enough? For an emotional outburst such as this, he wanted to make Jesus aware that he would die for him, and indeed he did at the end of his days. If, uh, if the teachings, uh, the the uh, church teachings are correct, that he was crucified upside down, but. Um, Jesus also made reference in, to it in John chapter 21 that we'll study later about uh, he will be led to a place that he doesn't want to go. <clears throat> so he, he probably was martyred for the name of the Lord. So he fulfilled his promise. But before he did, he was, he was afraid And he did deny Jesus three times before a number of people uh, during one of the trials that Jesus withstood that night. And after that, he just left. He was disgusted with himself and and all. So, um, how can you read these things and not be moved by them? Um, We cannot... Like Peter tried, by his own strength, he could not keep his promise. But you see, when when his calling came, when when he was uh, appointed as an apostle and and um, was sent out to do this and was and was given. Uh, uh, the power he was seeking, the power from on high, the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom, as all these things have been promised, he was up for the task, like the others were, and then they did, uh, they did the work of being one sent by Jesus. So I I think this is incredible. Um, this is verse or chapter 13. Chapter 14, we start immediately after the comments, I believe, of chapter 13 with uh, with the text that we'll, we'll study. start studying next week. One of the most powerful chapters in, in the book, chapter 14, looking forward to it. Um, and I hope these things have been a blessing to you today. They've been enlightening for all. Um, Here, that's for sure. So we pray that you will have a blessed week uh, as you serve the Lord in the calling he has given you. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Plus.